Well, it's been a couple of weeks where we've been starting a new, seri uh, new sermon series called A Life Pleasing to God. And right now we're exploring what that looks like in the Christian life. And many times we live contrary to how God calls us to live. And I want to encourage you to see if your life reflects a life that is pleasing to God. And the only reason why I say that is because the Bible is actually very clear and transparent on how Christians should live. And sure, no one's going to be really close or even be perfect to what the Bible says, but if you are totally on the opposite spectrum, then maybe that's something that will be helpful for you to reflect and to think about your faith. Because the Bible was never intended to make you doubt, but for you to feel assured of your faith. And that's just something for us to consider as we go through the series. And with that being said, if you can open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, or you may look at your sermon insert, which should be in your bulletin. And if not, you may look up where we should have the passage projected. Uh, if we could all rise for the reading of God's Word. This is the reading of God's Word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take your seats. So there are a lot of things that are inseparable in this life. When you think of salt, you think of pepper. Uh, when you think of the 2018 Eagles, you think of Super Bowl champs. And one of the things that are also inseparable is doctrine and application. And if anything, uh, the Bible puts an emphasis on what we should believe in. But it also shows us what it looks like for us to live out that belief. So when you look at the book of Romans, chapter 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul talks about what Christians should believe. And then when you look at Romans chapter 12 to 16, there's actually a shift in the letter where the Apostle Paul now addresses how Christians should live. So the Bible definitely puts an emphasis on what Christians should believe in. But if you look at it, it also always follows up of what it looks like for us to live it out. So what we believe in and how we ought to live are actually inseparable. Because God's not just concerned with us knowing it cognitively, where we just believe in Him and not live it out. But God actually calls us to live a life that is consistent to Him. And today's passage actually encapsulates the second part of Romans, of what it looks like to live out the mercies of God. And today's gospel truth is how God's mercy renews us to a reasonable worship. How God's mercy renews us to a reasonable worship. And I'd like for us to consider three points that I'll be talking about, which helps us unfold today's gospel truth. And the three points are the purpose, the power, and the progression. The purpose, the power, and the progression. So the first point is the purpose. If we can open up our Bibles and follow along with the text, starting at verse 1, let me read it for us once more. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So just when you see a kid begging to their parents for something, they're begging because they really want something or they really want something to happen. So when Paul uses the word appeal, he's actually trying to direct you to see something that's really important. So the question is, what's Paul begging or asking the Romans to see? Because Paul wants the Romans to present their bodies. So when he uses the word bodies, he's referring to the whole person, both body and soul. And what Paul is asking is for you to offer your whole being to God. Not just your body, not just your soul, but the whole being. So friends, do you know why he makes a reference to bodies? This is why. God does not just want you to give him lip service and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe everything what the Bible says. Yeah, I believe that. But if anything, God wants you to offer who you are, your whole being to serve him. As Christians, our life should be marked with the service of the Lord. And you'll see that Paul goes on later in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21, about the marks of a Christian. God doesn't just want to know, just doesn't just want us to know him cognitively and from our mouth to say we agree with everything he says. A very basic litmus test for us is to see, um, to see if you're a Christian, is to ask yourself. Am I serving the Lord? Once again, God doesn't want to just give, um, give him lip service or to know him cognitively. He wants you to present your whole being in service to him. But then when you look at the verse, he's not just asking you to present your bodies, but he's actually, uh, he's actually asking you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and, please, uh, holy and acceptable. And I'd actually like to direct our attention to the NIV translation. I feel that the NIV translation actually brings up the nuance of this passage. Um, instead of using the word holy and acceptable, it uses holy and pleasing to God. This is interesting because if you look at the latter part of verse 1, Paul is using a very specific type of language. He's using sacrificial language such as the word sacrifice spiritual worship, and even the words holy and pleasing. What Paul is saying to the Romans when he uses such language is to refer to the Old Testament rituals. And when you look at Leviticus chapter 1-7, through it talks about different offerings. And at that time, the Israelites were making atonement to their sins to God when they make these offerings. So when you look, at, uh, when you look, at, when you look back at verse 1, it says a living sacrifice. And what's so interesting about this term that Paul uses is that it's a contradiction. When something's a sacrifice, it's dead. But Paul is saying that you are a living sacrifice. It's like saying you are a loud, quiet person. That makes no sense. You can't be loud and quiet at the same time. You can, you can almost imagine how the Romans, when they heard the letter being read and they, were, they heard the word living sacrifice, they were probably like, what is he talking about? How can you be living dead? So what, Paul's referring, so what is Paul referring to when he uses the word living sacrifice? 
Early in the letter in Romans chapter 6, he talks about how in Christ we were buried with him into death, and how Christ was raised from the dead by God so that we may walk in the newness of life. Meaning, in Christ's sacrifice, when he died, we died. And when he resurrected from death, we resurrected from death. And oftentimes we forget that we should be the ones that should have been punished and dealt with the consequence of our sins. But God knew that wasn't possible because if we were to deal with our sins to God, we would just be regular sacrifice. We would be imperfect and dead. That's why God loved us so much. He gave us Jesus Christ, who is perfect and living. And, and, our, and he died on our behalf so that we may become a new creation, a new temple, an ambassador, so that we may be a living sacrifice. Friends, we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Because of the gospel, we are holy and acceptable and a pleasing aroma to God. This is the mercies of God that Paul is referring to. If anything, the sacrificial language that Paul uses in verse 1 is captivating and a beautiful image of the sacrificial love that God has for us. And when you look at verse 1, Paul calls us by the mercies of God to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. He says at the end of it, this is your spiritual worship. Once again, the NIV translation, I feel that brings out um, a clear meaning to the passage. The NIV translation says, instead of spiritual worship, it actually uses our true and proper worship. Paul is showing us that the response to God's mercy is to, li is to live for him out of gratitude and thankfulness. It's like the account in Luke chapter 17, when Jesus healed the ten lepers, and only one leper came back to thank him after he was healed. Jesus showed mercy upon the lepers, and the one leper responded with thanksgiving. And as a parent teaches a kid to say thank you, and show what it means and looks like for you to be thankful, Paul is actually showing us what it looks like for us to respond to God's mercy, which is to live for Him. And this is how we ought to thank Him, by worshiping. This is our reasonable worship to God, and that's what God originally designed us for, that we may worship and live for Him. But let's be honest, it's, it's hard, it's difficult, it's because of sin's effect on us. It has reoriented our worship from God to man. And we as people have made images and idols to worship. The problem has been that we don't worship God, but we worship the idols of this world. You look at Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, you look at the Israelites and the golden calf, um, even the book of Judges, the people are worshiping different pagan gods. You see, throughout scripture, you see it throughout scripture over and over again, and it's still going on now. Nothing has really changed. The question is, what are you worshiping? What are the idols of your heart? 
This is very important to ask yourself, since the idol is what's distracting you to worshiping God. An idol is the good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. Because there are a lot of things that are not idols, but we make it an idol. So friends, the reality is we all worship something. Everyone here worships something. And a question that would help us reflect upon this is, what do you usually schedule your life around? Because that actually says a lot about our hearts. When we really like something, we schedule everything around it. For example, for parents, kids are very important. You want to meet all their needs because that is your job as a parent. And at times, that is how you express your love towards them. But we can even make our kids, which is a good thing, an ultimate thing. So to use our kids as an example, parents, ask yourself, have you made your child an idol? In terms of application, in making God our true and proper worship, you need to plan your schedule around God instead of, instead of scheduling God around you. Let me say that one more time. You need to plan your schedule around God instead of scheduling God around you. There are many reasons why you have a problem to live your life for God. But this is just a practical application for us to consider. Because many times you give God the leftover time that you have. Or if anything, you just try to fit Him in whenever you can. But friends, plan your day or the day will plan you. Because if you always plan God around your schedule instead of planning around Him, you will always find yourself making excuses why you can't serve or spend time with God or even come to church. Sure, we all have busy seasons in our lives, like if you just got a kid. But really ask yourself, is that your scapegoat in not wanting to serve the Lord? Is it possible for you to make time? But the problem is, we just don't want to sacrifice that idol in our lives. And that is why it's so important for us to ask that question, what are the idols of my heart that is distracting what I'm designed to, which is to worship the Lord? It, come down, it comes down to what you worship. Because what you worship goes hand in hand with what you prioritize. And what you prioritize goes hand in hand with your schedules. So friends, how often do you deceive yourself thinking that God cares about what college you get into? Or even how well you're doing in your careers? Or how much money you make? Sometimes we present our idols and passions to God thinking that that's what pleases Him like our accomplishments and our success. But God does not want that. God wants your worship. And to give Him your worship is to please Him. So friends, what Paul is teaching us is that we are given a new life and a new worship in Christ, which is to live for God. This is our true and proper worship. And the second point is the power. 
So I drive a Honda Civic. It's, it's, a really, it's really old. I, I think it's a model from 2010. This is my first car, and I'm hoping that it will be my last as well. But if you ever hear my car, it sounds like a go-kart, yet at the same time, like a Mustang. Recently, uh, my muffler broke, so you just hear this screeching noise, but a real um, loud noise. So if anything, when you hear my car, you know my car has problems. So if anything, it's not looking too well for me to use this car for, uh, for the long term. What's funny is, or which is it's not funny, I actually have a bad habit of forgetting to turn off my headlights. Because it's an old model, it's not automatic, so I have to manually do it. And what ends up happening is the battery dies, and when the battery dies, I end up asking or calling people up, hey, can you help me to um, start up my car? And this happened, if anything, probably multiple times this past couple of years. All that to say is, friends, a car is able to go as far as the power that drives it. But a car with no power can't go far or even start. A question for you to consider is, what is the source of your power to live for God? Because many times, you live your life forgetting the purpose and the power that drives it. And what pushes and empowers our passage today is the mercies of God. If you look at the verse, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God is what brings life to the action that God calls you to do. And you know what, what's funny is, you forget why you do what you do. And at times you live like dead sacrifices and not living sacrifices. And it's because you forget the life and the purpose that God has given you. That enables you to be a living sacrifice. You see, Paul intentionally points to the mercies of God before he called you to be a living sacrifice. Paul didn't tell us to be, hey, be a living sacrifice. Then think about the mercies of God. No, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God is what comes first. This is what Paul wants us to focus. And as we are reflecting upon the mercies of God, that the mercy has shown us through Christ Jesus, when we reflect upon the love that He has shown us in Christ, that is what He wants us to reflect before we consider and uh, present our bodies to be a living sacrifice. Friends, when you encounter the mercies of God in Christ, it changes everything. The mercies of God is the source of power to help you worship God. Serving is an example in your Christian life where you need to continue to reflect upon the mercies of God. So what is empowering you to serve? For some of you, you serve from guilt and fear. And when you serve from guilt and fear, you find that you don't serve as much. Or altogether, you just stop serving because you're burnt out. But the mercies of God is a power that is everlasting. It gives you zeal and joy to be able to endure and serve the Lord. The Apostle Paul is a perfect example of someone who endured and persevered because God's mercy in Christ was his source of power. That is why he's able to rejoice in his suffering. That is why he's able to toil 
and struggle and really pursue ministry and be able to run that race because he always had his mind and his heart and his eyes on the mercies of God before he decided or to look on what he has to do as a Christian. And some helpful question to ask yourself is, why am I doing what I am doing? Or what is driving me to do what I'm called to do? Or what is the source of power that I am relying on? As silly as it may sound, many of us do things without knowing why we do it. And we don't really think, but we just do. Uh, from a TED Talk, Simon Sinek tells a story of two stonemasons that get interviewed. The interviewer walks up to the first stonemason and asks, Sir, do you like your job? He looks up to the person and replies, I've been building this wall for as long as I can remember. The work is gruesome. I work in the scorching hot sun all day. The stones are heavy and lifting them day after day is backbreaking. I'm not even sure if this project will be completed in my lifetime, but it's a job. It pays the bills. The interview thanks him for his time and walks on. And about 30 feet away, he walks up to the second stonemason. And the interview asks him the same question. Sir, do you like your job? The second stonemason looks up and replies, Sir, I love my job. I am building a cathedral. Sure, I've been working on this wall for as long as I can remember. And yes, the work is gruesome. I work in the scorching hot sun all day. The stones are heavy and lifting them day after day can be backbreaking. I'm not even sure if this project will be completed in my lifetime. But I am building a cathedral. You see, you have two stone leaders who are doing the exact same thing, but has two totally different experiences. One knows why they are laying the stones, while the other does not. One of them has a why on why he's doing this. He's building a cathedral. And one of the reasons why I would suggest the Apostle Paul was so dedicated and faithful in living for God was because he knew his purpose. He knew what was driving him to do so. The mercies of God is why he lived the life that he lived. Friends, the Bible is very clear that you should think and know the right things that you should believe before you do. It helps you to serve your purpose on why you serve. So, so the next time you try to live that Christian life, when, when God calls you to turn the other cheek, you won't just think about turning the other cheek, but you actually reflect upon God's mercy. You reflect upon how Christ has shown that. And when we reflect upon the mercies of God, it changes everything. It makes our duties into choice. It helps you to answer why you're living for God. So friends, God's mercy is the power. And the third point is the progression. Uh, let's look at verse 2. Let me read it for us. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul here appealed to the Romans that by the mercies of God, they shall live their whole lives for him. 
that this is their true and proper worship. But Paul goes on saying that they should not conform to the world. Why does Paul say not to conform to the world? Out of all the things that he could have said, he says, do not conform to the world. This means that even by the mercies of God, you are a new creation, a living sacrifice in Christ, you can still conform to the world. And this is a warning for all of us here who think that they don't have to worry about conforming to the world. How many times do we say, no, I got this, don't worry, I got this. And many times we do the same thing to God, God, we got, I experienced your mercies, I got this. And Paul is saying, no, don't, don't do that, don't. When Paul used the word, the term, the world, he's referring to the idols and passions of this world. Eric Mason, a pastor in Philadelphia, talks about when you, when you don't go to God's word, you're being shaped into the world. But when you go to God's word, you're being conformed to God. So whenever you don't go to God's word, you're being shaped into the world. The reality is, we are all being shaped in one way or another. So ask yourself, what ways am I being conformed to the world? For some of us here, we live according to society's values and norms. We feel that there's nothing wrong with how we live and do certain things. And we've been living that way for so long that our heart is callous and we keep doing it so we don't think there's nothing wrong. This is why God has given us His Word as one of the most helpful instruments for us to grow and conform into the likeness of Christ. And as David Platt would say, the more you look to Christ, the more you look like Christ. And just as Paul wrote to Timothy, God's Word is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. J.B. Phillips says, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your mind within. God has given us His Word that helps shape and renew our minds. It is important for us to be immersed in God's Word. If not, then you are being conformed to the world. And when you're being conformed to the world, you will find yourself living for the passionate and idols rather than for God. And when you are following for your passions, you will be thirsty, you will be confused, and you will be unsatisfied. It's like on a hot day when you're really thirsty and you drink that cold can of soda. It doesn't quench your thirst. If anything, you get more thirsty. And sure, you will get a little bit of satisfaction, but after a minute, you get more thirsty. And this is what happens when you follow the passion and idols of this world. It will bring you satisfaction, temporary satisfaction. And I will guarantee you, but what I will also guarantee is that because it's temporary, you'll be more thirsty, you'll be more confused, and you'll be more lost. When you look, at, uh, when you look in Galatians 2, you see the story of Peter who gets rebuked by Paul because he was not in line with the gospel. So what does it mean when you're not in line with the gospel? So 
So Peter was eating with the Gentiles in Antioch, and right when the Jewish Christians were coming into town, he felt ashamed and embarrassed, so he decided not to eat with them and acted like he didn't know them. Peter was being a hypocrite. He was not preaching when he preached to others, and Paul saw this and called him out. Um, and at that time, the way we would describe Peter's action is he was being racist. Because that Jews and the Gentiles, there was tension. They, never, they didn't get along with one another. If someone like Peter who walked and was with Jesus could forget, how much more can we forget? This is why it's so important for us to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And if you look at Peter's second epistle throughout the book, he tells the people that he's writing to to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 70 to 18, it says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Even Peter's last words to believers is to watch out for lawless people and not to lose your own stability, but to grow in the grace and knowledge in Christ. He's speaking from his own experience. And what's so funny is you see, and what's so interesting is you see Apostle Peter and you see Apostle Paul talking to different groups of Christians but saying the same message. Paul is saying, do not be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Peter is saying to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How important it is for us to know that we will grow in our knowledge in Christ and a renewal of our minds so that we don't slip up like Peter did to society. And a practical way to help us renew our minds is to spend a lot of time with God's Word. And when you want to renew your mind, you get to know something really well. You spend a lot of time with it. And as you spend a lot of time with it, you find your love for it to actually increase. For example, uh, when someone wants to get into painting and understand what's good about it, they study painting. They read about famous painters and what made them so special. Uh, you talk to other people and listen to what they can teach you and help you understand it better. I mean, there's times, I don't know about you guys, but when I go to museums and I see certain artwork, I tell myself, I could do that. <laughs> I feel that I could do that. You see the different patterns and the, and the different color, and you think, what is so special about this artwork? But then if you, have, if you talk to an artist who studies art, they will be able to tell you the technique, the meaning behind it, and even the color contrast, and even maybe even the different texture of the painting. So as you renew your minds in God's word, you will simultaneously increase your love for him as well. So spend a lot of time with God's Word. Spend a lot of time with people who know the Bible really well. Not just with their heads, but with their hearts. So they can 
help you and tell you and guide you why God's Word is so beautiful. And I'd like to close with a quote from John Owen, a theologian from the 1600s. Many conquerors have been ruined by their carelessness after a victory, and many have been spiritually wounded after great successes against this enemy. What is John Owen saying? What John Owen is saying is let's not be careless in our Christian lives, but be always alert. Because once we think we don't have to worry, is when we have to worry the most. When we feel so victorious over a certain thing, that's when we're most vulnerable, because we have our guard down. That is why when we are most that is when we are most vulnerable to conform to the world, to fall to sin. C.S. Lewis says, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing has yet been done. Like I shared earlier, God calls you to live a life that is consistent to Him. To live a life that is consistent to Him requires you to consistently rely on Him all over again. Because once you stop relying on Him, you forget why you live for Him. And once you forget why you're living for Him, you start conforming and living for the passions and idols of this world. That is why it's pleasing to God that you renew your minds in His mercy. Because when you're renewing your minds in God's mercy, it will remind you and point you to the love that He has for you in Christ and all that he has sacrificed, so that you can be a living sacrifice that will live for him. So what does a life pleasing to God look like? Is to renew your mind in God's mercy so that he can be your worship. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word to remind us that we need to reflect upon your mercies. For you to remind us the love that you have shown us through your son, Jesus. Lord, we're so grateful that we can have this blessing, we can have this savior, that we can call you father. With all these benefits, Lord, let us not forget to respond with thanksgiving and gratitude by worshiping you. Lord, help us to renew our minds daily in your mercies. Help us to not conform to this world, because Lord, you, we know that you have designed us to worship you, and that is where we will find most pleasure in our life. Make this truth a reality. Allow this truth to sink deep into our hearts. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.